Hello, and welcome to another episode of City on a Hill, a podcast about what it means to be a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the United States. We want to encourage Christians to find their tribe in the church and their hope in the kingdom of God, rather than to seek both in the kingdom of man. So with that, let's get to it today. Well, hello, I am Eric Estep. I'm Scott Reedley. And this is the City on a Hill podcast. Welcome back. Thank wow. you. Oh, th- <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> and listeners, thanks for listening in <laughs> as we get reacquainted. Um, last week, we talked about uh, Christians and politics and... And how we need more do, of them. Do we, or do we? That, that's the... If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen. Um, but we're going to continue on that topic, but we're going to go into the Wayback Machine and go a little bit more history with it, because this has been a question um, since we founded the country, since we put together a constitution to figure out how we're going to organize ourselves at a national level. Um, do Basically, the question was, do we want to require that there be some type of religious nature to a politician, to a leader, to a uh, someone that's going to hold office or uh, be a legislator, um, do we want to write that in? And that was a, a hot topic at the Constitutional Convention. Well, I suppose that you could frame it so don't go quite so way back. Let's stay, in the, let's stay with last week's episode. If they framed it the way we framed it, right? We framed it, do we need more Christians in politics? And um, the way that it was talked about at the Constitutional Convention was how would you know? Mm. How would you know you've got a Christian in politics? You would have some sort of religious test for um, that office. And the, the idea of a religious test seems kind of weird to us, at least seems weird to me, um, because I would have never thought of that. But the reality is that, um, you know, we think of we think of religion and the Constitution and we think of the First Amendment, uh, that the Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And then along with free speech mm-hmm. and right to the press and peaceful, peaceable assembly, we think that, yeah, that's where it comes from. But that's not uh, the first mention of religion, really. In Article 6 of the U.S. Constitution, it says this, the senators and representatives before mentioned, and the members of several state legislatures and all executive and judicial officers, both of the United States and of several of the several states, shall be bound by oath or affirmation to support this Constitution, but no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. Now, the question uh, for me is like, why would they have even thought of that? Maybe. Well, and what's interesting, we're sitting in that system now, and you read that and like, well, yeah, of course. Why would you do that? <laughs> well, well, we do. But now there still is this poll. I mean, in fact, it's the very thing we talked about last week. This poll to say if there's only somebody that was on our side, if there's own, mm-hmm. if we could only get that person who could pass that test, that the test I want them to pass, mm-hmm. then they would represent uh, us or our religion, or it would keep our our um, 
country Christian or whatever it would be, we still have this hankering or longing for a religious test. That's, that's what we talked about last week, really, mm-hmm. that you would be that person in uh, the government. And so um, <clears throat> this it's came— almost like a voter religious test. What do you mean? Well, uh, so the, the Constitution is, is setting up uh, state government, is setting not state government, national government, mm-hmm. um, and prescribing what the state can or cannot do. And what we were talking about last week would be at a, at a voter level um, religious test. Oh, this person has checked the box. Ergo, they are uh, qualified for, for the office they seek. Yeah, and, and it would be just kind of the, the flip side to say mm-hmm. they've passed the religious test. Which is interesting. Now, the the reason they wrote the religious test in is because, um, well, it wasn't that long ago when they were in this little tiff with England. Little tiff. <laughs> Understatement of the day. <laughs> and England had gone back and forth. Charles I uh, was one way and instituted religious test. Mm-hmm. Um, he lost power. Charles II came in and religious, um, instituted another uh, religious test and people were in power and out of power religion was uh, Presbyterianism was in, in one and then out the next and so they they knew of this I mean they knew of this in really their lifetimes many mm-hmm. of them and they had seen it and several of their um, ancestors I'm sure had come to the colonies to get away from that kind of uh, flip-flop that kind of really murderous uh, uh, political environment that required religious tests to hold public and military offices in England. And so... And what, what did that look like? Was that a, hey, are you a Presbyterian? Yes, okay. Or was, was it something more extreme than that? Uh, it was probably more or less that. They had to have uh, um, the sacrament in uh, first in Presbyterian Church, and then when they lost power in the uh, Anglican Church. Mm. And so that was, or the Church of England, mm-hmm. that was what they, um, that was the test. And so that put the priests on the line to say, you know, did this person really right. uh, receive the sacrament in your under your charge? So all of a sudden, then the priests became the servants as well of mm-hmm. the government. And and, it, and just to level set, it's not something where you can uh, the government flips and now um, the the in vogue denominations Church of England you can go. Oh, I'm just going to go over down the street and go get some communion over there. Um, you're not a member of that church. They're not going to let you have communion unless you did a whole bunch of work to be established over there, and you wouldn't be able to just flip-flop back and forth. Yeah, it wasn't like you went from Plaid Pantry to 7-Eleven to get your right. snack. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it was, a, it was a thing that they were very aware of, and they also were very aware of the ramifications. Now, mm-hmm. that's, so, so that's the first thing to have a religious test, whether it's taking the sacrament or whether it's uh, vowing that, yes, I believe. There were some, mm-hmm. s- some of our states had religious tests. Even at the time that we passed the U.S. Constitution, the states still had a test. Some of them were for um, monotheism. Some of them were for a specific denomination. Mm. But they, they had tests, and they also had an established religion. 
many of them, mm-hmm. which meant that the state funded, the taxes to the state funded the church. And so the states had that even at the beginning when we had the Constitution and when we had the First Amendment. Um, which makes it quite notable that these things are written into the Constitution because it wasn't, uh, that was a novel idea to, to one, not have religious tests, to two, not establish a church, because it was already going on everywhere. And, and it was expected that that's what you do, mm-hmm. of, of especially do if yeah. you're Protestant, because that's one of the things that, you know, sort of trickled out of the unintended consequences of the Reformation right. was this state-run church. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, anyway, and one of the ways that they... Um, clarified the state-run church were through these um, religious tests. Now, uh, you know, it sounds antiquated. It sounds like it's from, you know, a bygone era, but I want people to think about this for a minute. I mean, why would, um, why would it be a good idea to have a religious test? There are some good there, there, there are, are some good reasons. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons that um, you know most obvious one is to ensure you have Christian leaders. Mm-hmm. And if if what we talked about in a previous episode, we need more Christian Christians in politics. There you go. The way you know that is they pass a religious test. So, and and it's not that unusual to desire that really. I mean, I think that that is what uh, many uh, voters look for even today, and they will make a proxy test. Mm. The proxy test might be pro-life. The proxy test might be that you stand with the Bible in for a photo. Proxy test might be that you come to the some prayer um, breakfast. Mm-hmm. There is there is still some sort of a proxy, I think, for sure. this religious test, and which is very interesting. And I think it's really because we do want Christian leaders. That's mm-hmm. so. That's one. I think the other, and it's related, is if you think that the United States is a Christian nation, to have a Christian religious test that they mm-hmm. must that a politician must pass is the way that you ensure we stay a Christian nation. Right. And so uh, that's, that's really the, those are the reasons anyway that I'm thinking that you might say, yes, let's do that. In fact, early on in um, the Constitutional Convention, those were some of the arguments put forward was that we, we do want to ensure that we remain a Christian nation, therefore we should have a religious test. Mm-hmm. And um, it didn't win the day. But that's um, that's history, I guess right. you might say. But but the I, I want to say that the intent is good, and I think the intent in England was good, and I think the intent in Germany was good, and I think the intent you go all the way back to the Reformation, even go all the way back to um, you know even farther than that, the intent may have been good. At what right. it got corrupted, I'm sure, but right. um, you can at least perceive of a good intent. Yes. Um, and the, the pragmatic, the, the practical outworkings of that is something else, but the desire could be a good one. And I always want to give people the benefit of the doubt. So let's, let's say they started with good intents mm-hmm. on that. Can you think of any reasons why a religious test might be a bad idea? 
Yeah, sure. That's why I was so silent <laughs> with the good idea <laughs> part. Uh, good idea. Okay. Well, so, some of the stuff that comes to mind for me is um, who, who gets to decide? Who gets to define um, what is whatever the test is, if it's you, you shall be religious. Okay, who's deciding what level of religion or or even what religion? Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you narrow it down to Christianity, okay, we all, if, if you've been in Christianity long enough, you know there's a whole bunch of different branches of Christianity. So are we talking about a particular denomination? Are we talking about Protestants? Are we talking about Catholics? Are we talking about Eastern Orthodox? Are we talking about some denomination under Protestant? Um, and do those other people not count? That someone has to define, and when you give, you don't almost be giving a theological authority to the state to be the definer of what counts as religious. And these are the questions that people were asking in the beginning, Eric. So well done. Oh, look at me. But but really, and and they were different. They were different established religions in different colonies, mm-hmm. and so they would apply different tests. Pennsylvania, for instance, um, I don't know that they had a test, but they, they were sympathetic to the, um, to the Quakers, for instance. And um, so they recognized that they had to deal with them. And then what about Catholics? Because that's a kind of a big, especially back then, was a really big distinction. Mm-hmm. Then what about uh, Jews? Mm-hmm. Okay, now they're not Christian, but they're monotheists. So mm-hmm. at what level do you set this test? So that's, right. I think you're right to say that's one of the issues. Were you going to read the, I just thought the, um, basically the oath that people had to take in the state of Pennsylvania. Can I just read that? That's yeah, go fascinating. Ahead. Uh, this is from 1777. So um, state of Pennsylvania, Commonwealth. Uh, it says, before he takes his seat, um, or sorry, each member, before this, so this is someone that's been elected and is going to be um, a sitting legislator, a member of the Commonwealth uh, government. Commonwealth uh, says before he takes his seat, shall make and subscribe the following declaration: I do believe in one God, the Creator and Governor of the universe, the Rewarder of the good and the Punisher of the wicked, and I do acknowledge the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration, and no further or other. Um, and then it keeps talking, but just, just that level of you're going to do this oath. It's like a mini doctrinal statement. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, there's some, there, it's lacking some things in my it? view, but, um, just to have that level of, all right, hold up your right hand. What do you think about the old and new Testament? That's just, it, that's foreign to us now mm-hmm. to think about. In Vermont. So same kind of thing. 1777, each member of four takes a seat, shall make or subscribe the following declaration. I do believe in one God, the creator and governor of the universe, the rewarder of the good and punisher of the wicked, and I do acknowledge the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration, and own and profess the Protestant religion. So no Catholics. No Catholics, <laughs> no Jews there. So yeah, right. they were more narrow, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so it's not a um, foreign, it's not a foreign thing. Now, this whole thing is, well, we should go back to some other reasons, and then we'll, we'll keep reading some history because it's really, there is some fun stuff in history. Um, one of the things that is, um, I think that we mentioned last week is that just because someone passes a test doesn't mean they're the best person for the job. Mm-hmm. I mean, last week you talked about a plumber, the plumber, the plumber does raise their right hand and says those things we just read. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
do your pipes get fixed any better because of that is right. part of your question. And the same thing might be true there. Um, and then I think one of the key questions, and this I think is maybe one that won the day, is does a religious test really keep a non-believer out? Mm. In other words, can you have an effective religious test? And there was correspondence between Oliver Ellsworth and William Williams, and um, uh, Ellsworth said this. He said, um, well, first of all, I defined a religious test, so I should have done, we should have done that maybe at the beginning. A religious test is an act to be done or profession to be made relating to religion, such as partaking of the sacrament according to certain rites or forms or declaring one's belief of certain doctrines for the purpose of determining whether his religious opinions are such that he is admissible to public office. So that would be the definition of a test. And uh, uh, we've given a couple of illustrations of that already. But then um, this, this is his argument uh, against having tests. He says, a test in favor of any one denomination of Christians would be to the last degree absurd in the United States. <laughs> How does right. he really feel, right? If it were in favor of either the Congregationalists, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Baptists, or Quakers, it would incapacitate more than three-fourths of the American citizens for any public office and thus degrade them from the rank of freemen. There needs no argument to prove that the majority of our citizens would never submit to this indignity. Then he goes on to say, His making of a declaration of such belief is no security at all. For suppose him to be an unprincipled man who believes neither the word nor the being of a God and to be governed merely by selfish motives, how easy it is for him to dissemble or to deceive um, or to misrepresent himself. That's what dissemble means. How easy is it for him to make a public declaration of his belief in the creed which the law prescribes and excuse himself by calling it a mere formality? In other words, his, um, his understanding is that, yeah, people are unprincipled and the most dangerous person would be somebody that said, yes, I passed this religious test, but in effect and in practice does not. Right. And so it would, he, this is how he describes it a little bit later. If we mean to have those appointed to public offices who are sincere friends to religion, we the people who appoint them must take care to choose such characters and not rely upon such cobweb barriers as test laws. In other words, he saw it as about as strong as a um, spider web mm. to kind of prevent people from um, uh, doing the wrong thing. So, Well, and I find that interesting. The, the argument is, yeah, you could put this test, but the, the end you are trying to achieve can, cannot be achieved that way. And if you do that test, the amount of entanglement you have between the church and the state is far too large. So it, there's all these unintended consequences that you would have, and you wouldn't be able to achieve what you intended in the first place. Well, I think you, I think the first thing you have to say is, can you achieve it or not? And you mm -hmm. can't. Mm -hmm. Second is that if you could, it would require a ton of coercion, mm -hmm. you know, between the religion and the state. Right. Uh, far more than any of us would be comfortable with even if we do want more Christians in politics, mm -hmm. you know. Um, ben, ben Franklin weighed in on this uh, against religious tests. 
<laughs> in 1780 in Massachusetts Constitution, he said, I am fully of your opinion respecting religious tests. So he, was, he was arguing with someone who was against them. But though the people of Massachusetts have not in their new constitution kept quite clear of them, if Christian preachers had continued to teach as Christ and his apostles did without salaries and as the Quakers now do, I imagine tests would never have existed. And uh, in other words, he's pinning it on Christian preachers who need to draw a salary. Therefore, they need this church to, um, you know, pay their bills. And if they didn't do that, then it wouldn't really matter. So he goes on to say, uh, and this I think is really um, significant. Uh, Well, then he says, when a religion is good, I conceive that it will support itself. And when it cannot support itself, and God does not take care to support it, so that its professors are obliged to call for the help of the civil power, tis a sign, I apprehend, of its being a bad one. And it shall be out of my depth if I wade any deeper in theology. (laughs) I think it's a great point, though. That's so good. If one of your ends is to have just more Christians, period, and we're going to support that via the state. Um, I just love that. It, if if you need that level of support, then you d- you don't have a, a good religion. And you if it is a good religion, yeah. you don't need any support. It's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. I think that's brilliant. I thought that was pretty entertaining too. That he um, he would go that far. That's all the farther he'd wait in was mm-hmm. to say, if it's any good, it'll pay for itself. Mm-hmm. If it's not any good, the state needs to support it, and you don't really need it anyway. Right. So. Um. Those are, I mean, those are some of the things and, and that they were talking about in the beginning. And I, I guess I wanted to bring this up because this was original. In the Constitution, this whole, right. this whole religious test idea, and uh, it relates to our desire still to have Christians in politics. And mm-hmm. so we want Christians in politics, and how are we going to know? And I think one of the ways that we know is we still have to look for the fruit of the Spirit. We still have to look for people who are transformed by Jesus, people who know his word. And because um, I think it's pretty easy still to um, to fake it that mm-hmm. you would pass a religious test, you know. Mm-hmm. So, And I think that we have to be careful about substituting proxies for religious tests. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I say that because, really, because this happens in church all the time. I mean, really, as opposed to believing the gospel, uh, people substitute proxies for things like uh, the age of the earth. Mm. And if you you have to really believe the right thing about the age of the earth, and that will tell me everything else I need to know about what you believe. Or there's a there's several others. But or even the negative, if you believe this particular thing I use as a proxy, now I will excuse everything else because you've checked my box. Now that has happened too, right? Mm-hmm. And that's part of that deception that we talked about, right? Right. Um, you know, one of the things that, as we were talking about this, that Eric noted is that in the beginning we had um, we had this concern about religious tests and the establishment of religion, and it actually took the the last state to disestablish their religion was in 1833. So it took over what 50 years, basically, mm-hmm. uh, for the um, the states to be 
clear of this establishment. To basically separate church from state. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't automatic, and it didn't happen easily. Mm-hmm. And this these go this desire that we're talking about today goes down deep. Mm-hmm. Really, it goes down deep. And um, the the thing that we have recognized, even as we're talking about this, I mean, one is the the how quick people are to, to when i say make proxies or just to to look for little clues or little shreds that this this person is you know on our side or is religious or something but i think the other thing that eric pointed out is that there is the, almost the opposite mm. that happens now mm-hmm. where you have a religious test but you also can um find people who want there to be an anti-religious test mm-hmm. in other words a way to say you're not too religious right. to hold office. Right. I mean, because really you might be too religious to hold office, and we really don't want that to affect any right. of our legislation or any of our you know, judicial process or anything like that. And so there is almost, um, I mean, sort of the catch-22. It's not a catch-22, but it's just sort of irony mm-hmm. is that the Constitution says no religious test. Right. And in practice, people have turned that around to... Uh, suggest that maybe there needs to be an anti-religious test. Well, and I would go uh, maybe one step further. There seems to be maybe a new religion that um, is almost a, a, a secularism that we're, we want to make sure people are devoid of religion because our new thing is this secularism because they're, they're, there's no spiritual, there's no God, there's no anything like that. I, I've been reading... Epicurus and Lucretius lately. So, about, so my, my apologies to everyone. You know, I mean, <laughs> just, here he's going to bust out Epicurus. I mean, we're doing our best with the Constitution, not? but okay, continue with Epicurus. I just had to get that in there. I, he, he was waiting for it too. He just pounced <laughs> on me. Um, so Epicurus was a guy 400 BC or so, and his whole thing was we're only going to use the senses. We're going to use uh, our our eyes and our ears and our mouth and our nose and our sense of touch, and we're going to observe the world, and then only what we observe is is the thing that's um, uh, empirical evidence. We can take it in, and, and then we can basically decide what is going on based on our senses, which, if you, if you realize, that takes away the entire spiritual realm. There's, there's no God in that thing, because I can't observe God. Um, I can be revealed who God is, but I can't observe God. And I, I think we... Um, I think the... The soup of America is Epicureanism. We think, okay, wh- what can I see? What can I touch? What can I use? What can I verify with science? We talk about that a lot. Um, and so now that is that seems to be the thrust of of what we think about as as what should be the default belief system. So if someone um, is sitting there and they are quite religious and they are informed by their religion and they have uh, revelation that they point to and maybe. They're opening the Bible and saying, I believe this thing, and it informs the way I think about the world. Um, I think maybe the New Test is becoming, ah, that's a little too much. That's a little, um, you're not, pat, you're, we have a little different test in the back of our head, and, and you're not checking the boxes that we have for proxies to make sure that mm-hmm. religion doesn't affect you too much. I think one of the examples of this, um, it was, it was Prof- Professor Barrett at the time, but during um, uh, Justice Coney Barrett's uh, confirmation hearing before she became a judge, uh, Senator Feinstein mentioned of her uh, during that confirmation hearing, the dogma lives loudly within you, and that is a concern. Um, so her, how she lived her life proclaimed she's Catholic, and um, 
not a nominal Catholic, we could say. She's, she's very serious about her religion, and uh, Senator Feinstein was, could note that and was saying, ah, this, this may be a little bit too religious. Uh, those are my words, but that seemed to be what was being said, and that seems to be almost uh, kind of the mirror image of the same type of test, mm-hmm. which I think is super fascinating. We want to make sure there's a lack of religion almost. And I think it's, uh, the other thing that's very interesting is Tricasso versus Watkins in 1961, the Supreme Court unanimously upheld the religious test for state office holding, that state test for, that religious tests for state office holding violate the religion clause of the First Amendment. And then this is what they said in the opinion, neither a state nor the federal government may constitutionally force a person to profess a belief or disbelief mm. in any religion. And so there is this, I mean, it, it cuts both ways. And so whether it's a religious test or an anti-religious test, mm-hmm. you can't coerce either one of those mm-hmm. for public office. Very interesting um, opinion there. And so um, neither it says can constitutionally pass laws to Im- or impose requirements which aid all religions as against non-believers, and neither can aid those religions based on a belief in the existence of God as against those religions founded on other or different beliefs. And so just what Eric was saying, there are different beliefs in this other religion, and we have to like make time out and say, you know what, you can't, just like you can't do a religious test, you can't do an anti-religious test for office either. Right. Uh, and they would say that that is unconstitutional to do either one. Yeah, and can I think it's just worth noting the the United States Constitution is trying to do a tricky thing, trying to do a, a, a difficult balancing act of um, creating an environment where many different beliefs are living under the same roof, are living in the same nation, and trying to allow all of them to be able to play together. Um, as a response to those religious wars uh, prior to the founding of the United States, um, it, it didn't go well when we didn't try it this way. Uh, there were wars. There were, um, you, you mentioned, bloody conflict when different religions came into power. So we've been trying this experiment for a long time, trying to go, okay, let's, let's take all of this out. Let's pull church and state apart um, and leave them in their own spheres and see if we can, we can play well together. And I think... I think it's been working out. It's it's a it's an imperfect system, but it's a it's a working system. Well, it, I think it's helpful. I hope it's helpful. It's helpful to me to recognize that the the stress that we feel as uh, citizens of a heavenly kingdom and citizens here in the United States is some of the pressure that they felt in the very beginning, mm-hmm. and these very things that some of us would hope for, some of us would think would really solve the problem are the things that they talked about and decided that's not going to solve the problem. And I think it's really interesting. I mean, that the uh, there was a, I've got, I've got another quote here from uh, an address to the Maryland legislature as they considered their religious test. This is by Luther Martin. I'm not dyslexic <laughs> when I say that. The guy's name was Luther Martin, not Martin Luther, but Luther Martin. In uh, 1787, he said, the part of the system which provides that no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust in the United States 
was adopted by a greater majority of the convention and without much debate, which is sort of an interesting observation that we wouldn't know if somebody hadn't recorded that. Mm. However, there were some members so unfashionable as to think that a belief of the existence of a deity and of a state of future rewards and punishment would be some security for the good conduct of our rulers, and that, in a Christian country, it would be at least decent to hold out some distinction between the professors of Christianity and downright infidelity or paganism. Now, I mean, part of me smiles when I read that because, except for the big words, it you could be hearing that today. Mm-hmm. And people would uh, talk about those very same things and that very same concern right now. And here uh, he's trying to say, well, they, you know, they made a big mistake with the uh, federal constitution. They didn't even debate it very much. But the reality is that, uh, and, and again, this goes back to what everyone hoped would happen is that uh, that Christianity would provide moral underpinnings for the state such that people would be governable mm. you know that mm. that this moral these, this moral constituency would be more effectively governed because they were moral rather than downright infidelity and paganism mm-hmm. and when we didn't write that in uh, Mark, Luther Martin uh, was very upset so <laughs> and some of us are probably upset too, but that's be that as it may. Well, I, two things. One that reminds me of our episode we did on civil religion. Um, mm-hmm. You need you need something to encourage morality, and so we've we've put together kind of a civil religion. And you can go back and listen to that and hear about the trappings therein. Um, but two, I think I think the impulse is to take a smaller tool and try to es- use it to establish. Of the kingdom. If if you are, our, our hope is in the kingdom of God, and we are longing for that kingdom to show up. We're longing for the king to show up, and right now we're living in a system that is is a good system and indeed very powerful, regardless of what state you live in. Um, and I think the desire, the misplaced desire of, of Christians or maybe people from any religion, but we're specifically talking about the kingdom, the the misplaced desire of Christians is to go, hey, we could. We could maybe take the power, the trappings here, and establish kingdom basically here. And I think it's trying to take a small tool and um, aim it towards something bigger and something that it can't hold, something it can't do. Uh, Our hope is placed in the kingdom, and we can't make a a faux kingdom here. So keep your hope placed over there and try to use this system um, to do only what it can do and not to try to make it do more. Mm -hmm. Well at the risk of sounding like a pastor here for a little bit, that that temptation is everywhere in mm-hmm. church, in church life by kingdom people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that there are, there are churches that have that lower the lights and have the band play loud and have smoke machine on stage. Why N- not out of bad motives, but by the same motives here is they want some spiritual experience. They want there to be this, you know, uh, really great religious experience and you can't manufacture it mm. just like you can't manufacture it with you know mm-hmm. uh, religious tests you can't mm-hmm. manufacture it with a worship service experience you can't manufacture it with some kind of a camp for young people you can't manufacture this or by has, coercing religion it has to be the, a work of god done through the power of the gospel mm-hmm. and 
So, I mean, we just, I see this everywhere, but we happen to be talking about religious tests for office. And yes, that tool and the establishment of religion can't do the transformative work that the Holy Spirit and the gospel can. And that's where we end up um, having to place our faith. Right. Well, that's good. I think that's a good final word. We'll leave it at that. So there is one other thing. (laughs) I don't know if you can insert this or not. So there is one other thing, and that has to do with, uh, for instance, presidents putting their hand on the Bible. Mm. Is that this? Is that a religious test? Is it? No. <laughs> but but I think I think we have to be careful, and we have to mm-hmm. say, I mean, and what? How unglued would people come though mm-hmm. if a president took an oath of office without the his hand on the Bible? Mm-hmm. That would be unnerving for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yet, what does that do? It, I mean, it doesn't do anything really. Right. So, but um, we, you know, you're you're going to ask in a couple minutes if people have any questions or concerns. That would be one that came to my mind. Was do we still sort of have that when they put their hand on the Bible and mm-hmm. and pledge to uphold the Constitution? And uh, I don't think that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't have wouldn't have lasted this long if that's what's happening when it's in Article 6. Right. But it is, um, there are some people who object mm-hmm. to a Bible being present in uh, that moment. So anyway, I just thought it was worth bringing that up um, and mentioning it. So, And the, and the oath uh, is to uphold and defend the Constitution and any enemies of that Constitution. It doesn't say anything about religion or, God or anything. Uh, anything like that. I wonder if there's been anyone that's used, I wonder if that's prescribed uh, a particular book. I think people have brought family Bibles. I think they brought Bibles that are meaningful to them. Mm-hmm. There are probably some official Bibles that have been used, but well, I'm wondering historical. if there's been not, not Bibles. I don't think there have been. Yeah. Now, I might be wrong about that, but... We can, I, we can Google that. Yeah. Cool. Um, if there are some questions any of you guys have, please send them our way. Uh, you can send us an email at comment at cityonhillpodcast.com. If there's something that was pinged in your mind and, oh, well, what about this? Or they didn't address this or they didn't uh, talk about this really big concern I have, send it our way and, and we can talk about it. Um, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us. If you find what we're doing helpful, a review obviously goes a long way. Share it with a friend. And until next time, we look forward to the next conversation.